This is Trainer Talk, presented by Fasig Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio, Horse Network. Racing Radio Network. Trainer Todd Fletcher has reached the stratosphere. It was all have another for Doug O'Neill. Moon over Miami for Bill Mott. 3,000 for trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer D-Way Lucas, a six win. And Bob Baffert with another incredible milestone. But it was all for Scott McGee. Win number 1,000 for the great Trevor McCarthy. Here's 2,000 for Nick Zito. Steve Asperson is now North America's all-time leading trainer. Now, here's Mike Penna. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show Trainers Listen To. It is Trainer Talk, and it is all presented by Fasic Tipton right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you joining me for the next hour on Sirius 162 XM 207, streaming worldwide at horseracingradio.net and podcast on every podcast platform each and every week, wherever you access your podcasts. Well, trainer Chad Brown first joined me on Trainer Talk in April of 2003. And at that time, he was only seven years into his training career, but he had saddled 412 winners, which included two Breeders' Cup champions. Pretty good, right? Well, as you know, he was just getting started. Today, 10 and a half years later, he has added 2,128 wins to his resume, bringing his total to 2,540. His number of Breeders' Cup wins now stands at 18, and he has celebrated two Preakness victories and four Eclipse Awards as the nation's leading trainer since he last appeared on this program. It has been a magical ride for Chad Brown, who is kind enough to spend a little time with us here today on Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton. Chad, appreciate the visit, my friend. Thanks for having me. You know, let me just start here. I don't want this fact to get overlooked. That incredible decade-long run began immediately after you, you appeared on this show. So, Chad, you're welcome. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make a promise. I won't wait 10 years in between visits. So. <laughs> well, listen, man, I mean, what a run, huh? I mean, all kidding aside, any trainer would give their right arm to have that type of success for an entire career. You have done it over the span of 10 years, and considering that you just celebrated your 45th birthday on Monday, you have to feel like, man, I'm just getting started. Well, you certainly hope so. You can never take anything for granted in this business or I guess in life in general. So I've been very lucky to have, um, you know, great men- starts with a great mentor, um, with Bobby Frankel and other people um, behind him that helped me along the way. And, and then uh, I, I built an amazing team, m- many of which have, are still with us, you know, over a 17-year span. I mean, if I would say out of the more than 200 team members that we have, I'd say um, 40% of them, 50% of them have been with us 10 years or more. So um, it's, uh, it's it's a great team. And, of course, our clients that have sent us, you have to have a, a steady supply of, um, fresh, talented horses to work with um, coming in on a regular basis because to span a decade, like you said, it, it takes a lot of different horses that come and go, and you're going to have to, you know, have some talent to work with, and um, and we've had that. When you joined me in 2013, I had asked you about the fast start to your career, and you had told me that 
you felt very lucky because of the people that you had been associated with and the horses that had been sent to you. Do you still attribute a lot of that success to, to good luck or is there more to it now that you're at the point where you are in your career? Well, you, it, to some degree, you make your own luck. Someone taught me a long time ago. So, you know, you have to, uh, you know, work hard. There's no shortcuts to the top, really, right? You gotta, you gotta put the time in and the miles on the road and, 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 and learn and, and retain what you've learned and learn from mistakes too. And, and, um, you know, you have to know what you're doing. And, you know, the, in fairness, there's a reason why we're, we're getting some talented horses to work with because we have a, a proven team and our clients trust us. Um, but you have to have some luck too. You have to have the right horses come your way and you have to, um, avoid, you know, um, some some trouble waters along the way of avoiding you know injuries and there's all sorts of of things um in this game with you know with weather and racing trips and whatever and we've had our good share of of luck and um you know occasionally you don't get get the ball going your way so but overall we feel very fortunate with what we've accomplished what's different about chad brown as a trainer now as opposed to the trainer who joined me in 2013 I'd say the, the biggest thing is uh, patience. Again, I, it, it's a parallel between being in this profession, this industry, and then I guess you could turn it over into life, right? The, the older you get, the more patient you get, and the wiser you get. So, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot less patient. I'm a, I'm a lot less reactive now to situations and more patient. Um, and you have so much experience to call on, and um, I think it's really really helped me in situations recently uh, over the last few years, I'd say um, some of these, these big wins over, I'd say the last five, six, seven years um, really wouldn't have happened um, on the very biggest days. If I didn't have that experience from the first, you know, 10 years training. So, um, and that's something Frankel told me a long time ago. He said, as long as you do this, you'll um, the better you'll get. And if you, you know, if you, if you have good horses to work with, you know, many years from now, you'll you'll just you always make better decisions. You'll always get better, and he was right. You mentioned the word patience, and that's a word that comes up a lot here on Trainer Talk when I visit with with trainers throughout the year. Are you more patient now, Chad, with your horses, with your owners, or, or maybe both? And your your team members too. You know, you um, mm. you, you just feel like. Um, um, I think it comes from um, just again not not reacting to um, to changing situations in front of you. You just um, you 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 have a lot of experience about what it can and will go wrong at times, and and you have a a little bit of a sneak peek of the outcome on the other side, so you don't get as um, nervous about it or, or or down about it or reactive about it. So. You've you've sort of seen the movie before, so you um, you know occasionally there's some new stuff that comes your way, but um, I just find that yeah, in all areas you you do become more patient. What are you enjoying most about this ride that you're on? All the different people that I've met. Um, number one, and along with that, um, all the different special moments you'd be able to create for your clients um i i work with a lot of great clients that have been so loyal and they become good friends and 
<clears throat> a lot of these people I work with, there's you'd be hard pressed to find them like a perfect gift, even on the holidays or on a special occasion. Um, uh, anything greater than a win on the biggest stage or creating a memory for their family to walk in a horse for a grade one race or win a Reader's Cup race or a race at their home track, uh, some, something that really big. And uh, I've, as I've gotten older, I've stepped back and just observed more as it was happening because um, I've been there before with a lot of these situations, but some of them haven't. And then hearing the gratitude, the appreciation in return about what it meant to them or their family and such, it's, it's really driven me most these days. It's not about putting an extra trophy on my shelf or what's my commission for this race. It's not really about that. It's, um, I, I feel, um, a big sense of accomplishment is really the word when, um, I can sort of provide that moment for people. I mentioned earlier that most people would be happy with what you've accomplished for their entire career and you've been able to do it you know, in, in just a little bit more than a decade. And certainly this past decade and a half since you joined me last on this program has been a remarkable run for you. Um, what what things, Chad, are still, are still left out there? What goals do you have? Are there other things that you still want to accomplish in the game? Yeah, I mean, the Kentucky Derby and the Travers is two big races we haven't won. It would merely mean a lot, both those races. Um, obviously, they're two of the most important races in our in our industry in our history of our sport so they're right at the top um it would be really be amazing to to win win those two races and they're, they're right at the top of my list well i want to get to what's happened so far in 2013 this has been a or 2023 this has been an incredible run for you we're going to talk about this year in particular in just a minute but i want to take you back before we do to 2017 at pimlico preakness day when this moment took place. And they're into the stretch, and it's Classic Empire turning for home with a two-and-a-half length lead. Cloud Computing has moved into second, always dreaming has dropped back through the field. They're coming into the final furlong. Classic Empire, here's Cloud Computing going for the upset. Classic Empire digs in. Cloud Computing draws alongside. They come to the finish together, noses apart. Cloud Computing has defeated Classic Empire was third and always dreaming finished near the rear of the field so it is Javier Castellano getting the Preakness with cloud computing just over Classic Empire in the Preakness States. Your first taste of success in the Triple Crown series. Take me back to that moment Chad. What was that like and what was going through your mind as you were listening to Larry Colmas with the call? Um, no, it was just a Really incredible moment for me, for, for Seth Klarman and his wife Beth are with, with me. And um, he's been such a, a, a close friend and, and loyal supporter of our stable. And, you know, to deliver that win, again, alluding to what I spoke about before, creating certain moments for for your clients. I mean, he he grew up right in Baltimore, just blocks from, from Pimlico. And he was telling me in the post-parade that day, um, he pointed to the infield. And he says, you know, that's where I used to come as a child to watch the Preakness right over there. And um, I was just thinking at that time was just about eight minutes to post. I'd love for him to be walking over the infield to go get the trophy here in a few minutes. <laughs> so I was, 
crossing my fingers, but um, for him to tell me that story just minutes before, um, you know, he was able to win that race and, and I was able to, you know, walk him over there and to get that trophy was really the the top moment for me in my training career at that time. What do you think Bobby Frankel would say if he could see all the success that you're having now in your career? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think about that sometimes. He, um, I, 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 I would hope and I would trust that he'd be very proud. Um, I think he'd be very proud of himself that, um, that he taught me most of what I know and I use. Um, he's, he, he'd want to have discussions about what I've changed and what I do now because he told me, um, I remember when he hired me, he said, you know, I want you to know something. I'm going to teach you a lot. And you're going to see a lot. But he said, I don't train horses now the same way I did, you know, in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. I've always changed along the way. And you're going to have to change what I teach you sometime. So he was a very, very smart man. He had a very high learning curve. He was um, he was a great teacher in his own way. Um, I, I learned more about how what his teaching methods were long after he was passed. Just I started to figure things out about you know why he might have said a certain thing or acted a certain way. He had his own own way of teaching you, and um, I, I would I would. Um, I would hope that he'd be very proud. Well, I'm sure he is. What are some of the changes that you have made over the years from from the things you were taught by Bobby Frankel to the way you do them today? And then maybe one or two things you still do the same. Yeah, um that's um those are good questions. You know, the 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 really the foundation of his system and what he's taught me is very much in place and, uh, and won't change. It involves a lot of patience and involves, you know, being able to stop on your horses when you <clears throat> see problems coming early and long-term planning for races work backwards way off in the distance. I mean, I think everyone that watched or followed uh, Bobby could tell could, knows that he was, uh, he could really train way out from a target, have those horses ready layoffs he was great with you know fillies on the turf and all those sorts of things you can see us doing you know on a, a similar strike rate than him it's it's because we're still using a lot of those approaches <clears throat> i'd say changes are and and frankel would have adapted you know over time too he's very very smart um horses obviously these days they're they just seem to be more fragile and if it's the breed there's you know uh, no real firm consensus, but is that the racetracks aren't as good as they used to be? Um, you know, a combination of, of a lot of different factors. So got to train a bit different. These horses, they can't, he might not be able to design the works quite the same way as we did back when I was, geez, working for him in, you know, oh two, oh three, oh four. I mean, he was, we were, was working with him the year we won like 25 grade one races in one year. I mean, mm-hmm. we were, we, we had Murderer's Row out in Hollywood Park. I mean, every stall was a grade one horse. I can remember going down the, the feed line, you know. And But those horses trained a bit different. He he was able to train them a, a bit harder and, and work them further and, and, and set up the works a little bit different than I do now. Um, if, I, if I was to do some of those things the same way, I don't feel those horses would um, hold up as well, not quite as durable. 
So, um, you know, little little tweaks to the training. And training on the East Coast is a little bit different than the West Coast, too, because the tracks are different. So um, when I was working for Frankel, I was out in the – I spent the winters in California every year, and it was much different than what we sort of did on the East Coast when we come back uh, over this way. So, you know, it's a, it's a good mix of both, and, um, you know, I wish I had that opportunity to – you know, have lunch with him and talk about all the different things. I catch him up on <laughs> all the <different laughs> things I've tweaked. He would be interested in it. Yeah, interesting stuff with trainer Chad Brown, who is my special guest here on Trainer Talk, presented by Face It Tipton. Chad, twenty twenty three has been right on par with so many of the big years that you've had. You, you pick up a couple more wins in the Breeders' Cup Series. I mentioned your total number of Breeders' Cup wins is now eighteen. And when you look at the top trainers in the game today. Steve Asmussen currently leads all trainers by number of wins in 2023. Brad Cox has the most stakes wins, but when you look at the the leaders in terms of greatest stakes victories, your name is at the top of the list. 39 greatest stakes wins this year. You have to be very proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. There's been several years our team has, has led um, recently in greatest stake wins for the year. I, I don't know how many years in a row we've done it, but it's been several. And, um, I'm very proud of that because, again, going back to Frankel, it was about the quality of the operation. And it really alludes to, um, again, Bobby being a rare trainer, where you can really prove you can train any kind of horse. You're not going to win that many great stakes in a year or lead the country several years in a row unless you're winning races on multiple surfaces and multiple distances. And that's where we're able to get a large number of great stake wins. Um, I know oftentimes we're talking about the turf because we've been so dominant on it, but it's really the dirt wins on top of the turf wins where you can separate yourself and have and cover a lot of different graded stakes on that schedule. And uh, again, I have to give so much credit to Bobby. He could train horses on both surfaces and, um, I don't think there's too many operations that can effectively at the highest level in both divisions. It's interesting you bring that up because you, you hear this in other sports, right? You'll hear a, a hitter that may struggle with a particular pitch. Maybe he hits the fastball better than he hits the curveball or the slider. Or you'll you'll see a, a, a tight end in the NFL that is a good blocker but not a good pass catcher or vice versa. So everybody is always working to get better in their chosen profession and you mentioned training any kind of horse. Chad, is there a certain type of horse that you want to be better at training? Uh, say that again? Is there a specific the type part, of certain kind of horse that you would like to be better at training? Where you would like to improve? I, I, I don't I don't I don't know that I, I that I'm I'm looking to be better or improve. I'm looking always to improve in every area. So it it so mm. it doesn't really matter what surface it is. I, I always feel you can learn something to maybe tweak or improve your, your training or your approach or your management of horses in, in any area. I would I would offer back, I would like to um, have more success and, and really bring it up to an equal level of success on the dirt every year if we have more good dirt prospects to work with. I think that from what we've had to work with, most of our stable that comes in is heavily weighted towards uh, being destined for the turf, which I'm very happy about. And we've built an amazing career with the turf horses. But as we get some more um, dirt horses to work with, we've done quite well. And um, I think when you put in perspective, 
with the bigger trainers and you say, well, they have X amount of horses. Well, we all have about X amount of horses, about the same amount for big trainers. But when you start to take ours and say, well, you know, 70% of them are bred for the turf, and then on the other 30%, well, half of those might be fillies, and then you start to split it down and split it down, how many dirt colts do you really have to work with? I'm not complaining. I, I, I'm a very lucky guy. And he, like you said, trainers got the right arm just to have even my dirt horses to work with. So and we've done pretty well with them. I just put in perspective that when you get onto the derby trail or you get into the dirt division, <clears throat> when you have far less horses to work with, then you really have to get the most out of what you have when the one or two or three identify themselves as top ones. I'm not going through 100 dirt cults to find one to go to the derby. You know, I'm going through far less. Again, I'm not, I don't have my violin out and my tissues. I'm just saying <laughs> you're going yeah. into, it's not apples to apples when you're trying to get onto the trail. On the flip side, I'm in a very strong position if somebody wants to run against us in a top race on the turf, which, you know, people might complain about. Oh, this guy's got four horses in the race. Well, I have a deep bench of prospects from all all shapes and sizes. They're not baked cakes like coming off the plane from Europe. These are unraced horses, a lot of them. They're homebred sometimes, you know. I mean, the two horses that ran one is four horses in the matriarch. Well, the the top two finishers are homebred horses by obscure stallions, you know. Mm-hmm. They weren't these weren't blue chip prospects, you know. So we just have a system where we could find and develop these horses, work with what we're given, and give them the best chance to get there. At the end of the day when they get into the barn, whether they're dirt or turf or whether they're by a $5,000 stallion or they're buying into mischief, they all get the same chance. And if they're going to get there, they'll have a, they'll, they'll, they'll be given the opportunity. With all of that said, Chad, people will look at what you've done with horses like Good Magic and Cloud Computing and, and Early Voting and Zandon. Those are all big names on the, the dirt side of things. And they're going to say, wow, after what they just heard, it's even more impressive to be able to get those horses to run, er, not to run necessarily, but the success you've had with those horses, considering the fact you didn't have that many numbers to begin with, uh, looking ahead to the dirt series. Yeah, you just it, 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 it all it takes is one though, right? So yep, that's why it's a great sport, and, and sometimes you don't have the, the the larger stables, you know, always winning the Derby as you've seen. You've seen some very small stables, or some of these breeders cup. Uh, races the breeders cup classic look at that through the years i, I think it's great it's uh it, it gives everybody hope um that it only takes one horse really to change everything and um and but again we've had dirt if you took away all the turf horses we've ever had and just had the dirt horses over the last 17 years we've had a great run we've had a hall of fame career i've had jack christopher there's other horses what about randomized yeah. dunbar road winning the alabama Goodnight olive i mean these are great horses that i've been lucky to have and they weren't. They weren't necessarily. Um, these were not. All, these were not high dollar horses. They weren't brought in as like blue chip prospects that five trainers were fighting over as a yearling. I mean, it, you and a lot can be said for other champion horses that we haven't trained. I, I look, and it's just it gives everybody has a chance. Um, and uh, a, a top horse, dirt or turf, can come from anywhere. What's the biggest difference in training a turf horse as opposed to a dirt horse? <clears throat> well, with turf training, a lot of its behavior and timing, um, it's not necessarily getting them as fit as you can. 
uh, I, I like our horses to uh, really obey the commands of the rider and being able to switch on and off and develop a turn of foot through different approaches and techniques we use. I think with dirt racing, um, you're, you know, you're racing in sand. It's more of an endurance type of race from gate to wire. Um, you're, you're, you're trying to get the horses as fit as you can and, and strong as you can. And, 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 you know, there's some, some behavioral aspects to it, but not as much as, uh, a turf race, which is more tactical, particularly longer, or two, we'll just say a two turn race more than a sprint. So I find that with the turf horses, maybe some way we're able to create some separation in certain divisions is if you're able to teach these horses some of the intangibles to um, excel and, and, and show a good, you know, great turn of foot and, 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 and really um, develop, you know, superior behavior and, and, and communication with your rider and such. It's, it's, it, it can, it can really bring maybe an average horse to beat a, a better meant horse just because it's prepared differently with dirt racing. <clears throat> um, you really just have to have um, tremendous power and stamina to just outlast somebody in the sand, really. Chad, I'm sure if I walk into your house or your trophy room, if you will, I'm going to see all kinds of different racing memorabilia. Um, When you think back on some of the things you've been able to accomplish over the years and, and what I might see when I walk into your house, what are some of the more prized possessions that you have? (laughs) Um, well, bricks and mortar horse of the year. I mean, to, for a turf horse to win horse of the year was really incredible. Um, so that's really the, the the biggest accomplishment, the biggest win. Um, and of course, the, the Preakness wins and um, the Arlington Million trophies were really something else. Um, Mr. Duchess was just he was one of a kind. This guy, all class, and Arlington used to be. You know, I found, again, following Frank, all the, some of the races he, he really targeted and that turf festival at Arlington, I just really put that on my list to target early on if I was able to get good enough horses. And we, through the history of Arlington, I'm just so proud of the work we've done there. I, don't, we, I think we won the Arlington Million uh, four or five times, Beverly D maybe seven or eight times. And those those Arlington Million trophies were really something special, the way he'd deliver them to your house with like an armored car. And they're from <laughs> Tiffany. They're like these big fancy trophies. And that, that, that's my favorite one. They were, um, he, it was just so um, so classy, the way he, he would reward you with a handwritten note with this beautiful trophy. So you'd see those. And, you know, it's just I've been really – Really lucky to um, to um, sort of compile some some different pieces that just you know bring back memories of a lot of hard work and teamwork and um, and again creating some great moments for people. So, are those trophies displayed in your house? Yeah, yeah, we have some. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they are. Um, and uh, again, people, you know, again, it's it's really just to uh, to bring. I, I view it as it's nice to bring up some memories and maybe show somebody that, that sees them and tell a little story maybe about that horse or that moment. And uh, so it's uh, they're nice to have. 
if this success continues over the course of the next decade, Chad, and you achieve the goals you laid out earlier, you're going to have to buy another house just for all the different trophies and the memorabilia you're going to acquire over the next decade, man. That's that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank Chad you. Brown with me on Trainer Talk. Boy, what a visit. Chad, I really, really appreciate the time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you for taking a little time. We'll do it again soon. And all the best. Merry Christmas to you and to your family, and we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. All right. Chad Brown, Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton. Happy holidays to everyone out there in HRN Nation. If you missed any portion, don't worry about it. We're going to replay the whole thing coming up in the second half of Trainer Talk. Stay with me. It is Trainer Talk, presented by Fasic Tipton on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Fasig Tipton's Kentucky Winter Mix Sale is a hot market. Scheduled for February 5th and 6th in Lexington, Kentucky, it is the last mix sale before the start of breeding season and annually provides sellers with quality results. Entries are still open. The 2024 Fasig Tipton Kentucky Winter Mix Sale. Enter now at FasigTipton.com. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sharky's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear and going to take the rear dirt sprint by a widening margin. Five, five, all defeating at 875 down and down. Nine, nine hundred and nine hundred pounds. Elite Power to the front. But Elite Power does it again in the Breeders' Cup sprint. Standing at Judmont. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races and make plans for opening day of the championship meet on Friday, December 1st. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. Well, Fazig's family, basically. Some of the guys that work here I've known for 30 years. I just felt really supported and they're, they're great communicators. They try to help in whatever you do. Fazig Tipton's has a sale for every market, every segment in the industry. There's multiple opportunities where you're gonna have plenty of good buying and selling situations. Great customer service. I'm not only a buyer with them, but I'm a seller, and I've always been well taken care of. There's a lot of different things that sometimes you need at a sale, and, and Fazig Tipton is there every step of the way. They show year after year that they're ethical, and they're fair, and they enjoy what they do. But when you're around people that have a combination of all those things, you know, you can't lose.